disaster day for Democrats. Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics, Balance of Power Roundtable with my usual panelists of former two-term Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, Alicia Preston. Woo! Boy, we're recording this on Friday the 9th. Thursday the 8th was not Democrats' favorite day. The one-two punch of their hoped-for deus ex machina from the Supreme Court of maybe the 14th Amendment would knock Donald Trump out. That's not looking likely. But let's start with maybe something even worse. If I had told you yesterday, guess what? The special counsel investigating then-Vice President Joe Biden's retention of classified documents was going to say, nope, we're not going to prosecute him. There's not enough evidence here. You would have said, Matt, sounds like a pretty good day for the president. Well, I wish that was all that the special prosecutor said. He went on in lurid detail to basically say Joe Biden is a memory-challenged, doddering old man who probably doesn't know what day it is. Alicia Preston. Oh, Alicia. Oh, boy. You're a communications consultant. You're a Republican who's rooting for Joe Biden to defeat Donald Trump. Walk us through this, please. Well, and just for clarity, I'm not rooting for Joe Biden. I'm just rooting for the defeat of Donald Trump. But and one implies the other. Biden, I... If it has to be Joe Biden, well, that's what Joe it Biden. is. That's what I'm is on the menu. Is, I'm just saying I am not a Republican who is a fan of Joe Biden by any stretch of the okay. imagination. I am just a fan of America and democracy first. Duly noted. But the okay. menu offers one from column A, one from <laughs> column B. Column A is Joe Biden. Column B is Donald Trump. You will be voting for anyway. I'm not going to put you on that spot. So, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, it was a bad day for Democrats and a very good day for Donald Trump. The report out on Joe Biden, quote, we have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. That's not good when his, <laughs> the biggest criticism of him is he's too old for the job because he is too old for the job. Donald Trump is also too old for the job. They're both just too damn old for the job. I mean, the report went on to mention his memory a couple times. It referenced he didn't know the year his son had died, Bo Biden had died, which I think all that's actually very tragic. And but it does say, should he be is he qualified at this point to be in the Oval Office? And the answer is no. The answer is, if it does end up being Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, we have two men who are both unqualified for very different reasons to hold the position. And, you know, this was good for Donald Trump. This is good for people who support him. And it was a bad day for Joe Biden. And there is nothing, nothing stopping the Democratic Party and Joe Biden himself to do what's right for the country and let someone else take the helm of the Democratic nominee. Well, there's nothing stopping him <laughs> technically. Practically, I think you agree with me that would not work out well. And it would, if anything, probably help Trump more than that. But, Paul, I want to engage for a moment in a little bit of, you know, we're both Democrats here. I want to engage in a little bit of consoling ourselves, venting. Just, I know it doesn't matter. It is what it is. The damage is done. The statement from the special counsel is made. The guy's name is Ben Hur. What's it? It's Hur? H-U-R? Her. Her. Yes. Is that the name of a rapper? Her? 
No, He's no Charlton it, Heston. Though. It's the name. It's the name of a chariot driving Roman Roman guy <laughs> named Ben Hur. He says in the middle of his it's report, "You truly are the King of Kings." Um, king of- yes. So yeah, not a lot of Charlton. Really appealing to the younger set here with my Charlton Heston impression. He's been dead for what, like twenty yeah. years? If you young okay. people don't know who Charlton Heston is and have not seen Ben Hur, you are missing out. Go You're really missing today. out if you've missed it's the fantastic. Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Oh, that's fantastic. That's oh, funny. Yeah, you, that, Brenner, yeah, that's good. I think your Moses shall have been a fool. Oh, no, that's the king and I. Well, Yul Brenner really? is awesome. All right, look. I'm only saying that because I'm increasingly bald. All right, look. I believe Yul Brenner is in that, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's the king. Yeah, he's the king, yeah. He's, yeah, the, all, he's, he's also the king. And I saw him on Broadway when I was a child. Oh, wow. In The King and I. I mean. Fun fact. I, I did, too. Did you see? I did too. But Hollywood I, legend. I mean, he's I, amazing. I don't remember. No, I'm, I my first musical, I saw in 1957. I saw The Music Man on Broadway. That's how old I am. Because, and I'm referencing this because this all is an ageism discussion. We're talking about old movies and apologizing to younger listeners about having experience and experiences. And yeah, listen, but don't cite as... the music man. Can you confirm something about the music man? When I tell younger people this, the following fact, they don't believe it. They think I'm gaslighting them. Does or does not the music man contain an entire musical number about fast women, shall I say, called Shapoopy? Probably. Yeah, yeah probably. Oh, you, your memory's yeah. not... Did My memory yeah. isn't very It'll good. It'll come back because to you. I'm very close in age to our next president. president You're not Joe that close Biden. in age. You're not that close in age. You're and not that experience close. only matters if you remember the experiences. Oh, listen, well, okay. As so, Joe so, Biden, <laughs> as Joe Biden responded at the Democratic caucus after this, you'd think I'd fucking remember the day my son Bo died. So let's just face it: her was out for a pound of flesh. There was nothing indictable. Biden did nothing wrong. He didn't. He he wasn't going to be prosecuted. Her, who's a right wing extremist, a former clerk for Rehnquist, a, an official under Rosenstein in the Trump administration, wanted his pound of flesh. He was so upset that he couldn't in, that he couldn't find anything to charge the president with that he decided to go off the reservation and make flagrant misstatements about what. How any, do you know if they're about, misstatements? About How would any, you possibly know uh, that? Let's put a finer point on that because we can't, Alicia's right. We can't know whether these are misstatements or not, but can you confirm, did the special counsel break Department of Justice rules by doing essentially, we are not going to prosecute. Here's what the evidence shows and does not show. And then with someone that they're not going to prosecute, going on and editorializing about how bad they are. That is against just DOJ rules. You do not editorialize. It's another Comey. It's Comey take two. It's the return of Comey unchained take two. It is a hack job outside the DOJ regulations. He flaunted DOJ regulations. And let me just say that if you're doing an interview with a Justice Department official and you don't have a precise recollection of the precise date that something happens, you better not try, you better not agree so readily to something that may be a mistake because that could get you in trouble. It's completely usual for witnesses who are doing an interview not to remember precise dates 
when they're doing that kind of interview. So it's just, it's over the top editorializing by a MAGA right-wing extremist who happened to be chosen as special counsel in this case. What a disaster. I also genuinely think this, as a turn of phrase, it is not unusual, especially for older people, to sometimes say out loud. And you're thinking out loud because what you're trying to do is you're trying to remember when something occurred and you're indexing it against unknown date. So if you say, what year was it that Bo died? You know the year that Bo died. What you're trying to do is you're trying to place, when did I take this other action? Because I remember it in relation to that event, not like what year it occurred. I do this kind of thing all the time. Let's say, for example, I remember the year that my daughter was born. And what I'm trying to remember is, when did we purchase our insurance for something? And what I remember is, okay, I did it within six months of my daughter being born. Well, then I might say out loud, as I'm thinking out loud, I might say, okay, what year was Ruth born? 2011. So I did this within six months. It was probably early 2012. That's the kind of statement one might make. You just shouldn't do it when you're in the middle of a deposition. And I think it's entirely possible that this is a ill-motivated prosecutor who's spinning it, but it doesn't matter. I want to ask about what does matter. Does this matter? Alicia, does this matter politically? Because my contention is it really doesn't. I think for voters who have decided that Joe Biden is too old, they've already decided that Joe Biden is too old. I think that for the Trump campaign, which is going to try to make the case that Joe Biden is too old, they have plenty of instances of him on video doing things that make him seem too old. They will not need the written words of a special prosecutor that no one has heard of in a case that people have barely heard of in order to bolster that case. I think that politically, this will be a nothing burger by the time we hit October. I don't agree. I'm not sure it's enough to give Donald Trump a win, but there are people out there that don't like either. But we're going to go for Joe Biden because Trump is just unpalatable, but they don't hate him. They just don't like them. And now you see this and this will be repeated and repeated every single day until November. There are those that will be affected by this decision. Now, it may not mean they go vote for Donald Trump. It may mean they just go, well, I'm not I can't cast my vote for either one of them. So either they vote for RFK or don't go to the vote, don't go vote at all. This will have an effect. And part of the problem is the response from the White House which if I'm on another side, I'm going to use it repeatedly and to gift Donald Trump. And this is why advice to all politicians out there, and no offense to you, Paul, never let a lawyer take over your comms side of things. Never do it because they will respond legally. And that isn't helpful with communications. And that's what the White House did yesterday. And like, for instance, here's a statement. We disagree with a number of inaccurate and inappropriate comments in the special counsel's report. Nonetheless, the most important access the special counsel made that no charges are warranted is firmly based on the facts and evidence. You cannot discredit an author of a report and then credit his results. It was poor PR. It looks ridiculous to say inappropriate and inaccurate in the same sentence as saying fact-based. How would you have said it? I would have probably ignored it other than to say the president in the White House appreciates the hard work of the special counsel, and we agree with the we agree with the results of his decision. Period. End of story. I wouldn't have addressed. I would have ignored. You, you, let's take a break. We'll be right back. You wouldn't have even added in. You know, the partisan editorializing that he added in is so obviously ill motivated and such incredible BS 
that we don't even feel we need to address it. I would not, because then there's another part in there you can address if you want to call it ill-motivated. And, and I thought part of what he said was inappropriate as well. Um, I don't think he should have editorialized on the difference between Trump's case and this case. I don't mm. think that was his job. And I think Trump's guilty as hell. I just don't think that was his job to do that. So I'm not defending right. everything her did in this. I thought it was strange. But if I'm the White House, ignore it. Why? Because everyone else is out there saying that for you. Once they had put out this statement, though, and once this began to get a little bit of online traction, we just had Chris Matthews on the show a couple of weeks ago. And in his book, Hardball, it one of the chapters is titled Leave No Shot unanswered. And it's sort of longstanding political best practice to say, if you leave something like this out there festering, and you don't get your side of it into the story, you get hurt much worse. So that's what led to Joe Biden addressing the cameras directly last night, and then having that, you know, gaffe where he mixed up the president of Mexico and the president of Egypt, and seemingly making things a little bit worse. Do you agree that at that point, the White House did have to put Biden on camera. They did have to try to push back. I, I don't think they should have pushed back on the inappropriate and inaccurate statements. Look, I think Chris Matthews is great. I got to meet him a few times covering the New Hampshire primary up here. But Hardball was written a long time ago. Mm. We didn't have all the social media and the sharing of misinformation and information that's out there now. We did not need Biden to have it come out of his mouth. It could have been done by all the talking heads that are out there and whether it's Democratic senators or congressmen or analysts, you know, out there for him to say it that way. Again, he discredited a report he thanked him for. He should have let it alone. The fodder this morning all over isn't just the report. It is the White House response. It is the came out to show his memories great and confused the heads of Egypt and Mexico. Not You gave them ammunition to use and spread across the Internet. And again, Hardball was written a long time before we're in today's internet wor world that we're in. If it were me, what? and this is 2020 hindsight, I probably would have chosen the battle to pick. And I would have chosen the Bo Biden thing. Because that's obviously what the president reacted emotionally to. And honestly, I think most Americans had would have had the same logical reaction that you just had, Alicia, which is, of course, he remembers the date that his son died, like, come on, what are we even doing here? And so if it had been me, I would have led with, well, we're glad the special counsel exonerated him as for the ridiculous political cheap shots, like, you know, attacking the president's son, that is complete garbage. I would have tried to frame this as an attack on the memory of Bo Biden. And the special counsel can't really answer for himself here. Make that the issue rather than kind of focusing on the question, which we're now all focusing on, which is the Biden age thing. Paul, what well, do you think? I mean, look, the comms issue aside, I disagree, Matt, that this is a nothing burger. I think that it puts in the public's consciousness the issue of age in a much more direct way than, than it had been. It is evidence for the public of the problem that Democrats and Biden have with the issue. Here is a prosecutor who has said this. So whether or not people remember exactly what happened or anything about the case, it's I think it's a challenge. And I think it's a continuing challenge because it gives Trump fodder that he'll trot out. It's also an interesting dichotomy or a, for the Department of Justice on the approach to the Trump Mar-a-Lago and the Biden, the Biden documents. Trump, Trump came out and said, you know, I was 50 times more cooperative. I was 100 times more open 
you know, so he's doing that whole spin. And so in the end, the public may say, oh, documents classified. Everybody does it. The president did it. Trump did it. So it's not good. Here's where I don't agree is, you know, first of all, that's all well and good for the court of public opinion. But it's nothing new under the sun for Donald Trump to say political witch hunt, blah, blah, blah. I was more. I I mean, it's to me, that's all kind of back and forth blather. And it won't matter in an actual courtroom. At the end of the day, Donald Trump is still going to be prosecuted for his very obvious illegal actions here. And at the end of the day, Joe Biden is not. Now, if Trump is convicted, he can claim witch hunt all he wants, but he's still going to be convicted. And we still have polling that shows that Republicans would hold that against him. So he can dissemble, he can cover, he can say, He can invert things. I mean, he's basically swift boating this entire thing, which is you're taking your biggest weakness and trying to turn it into a strength and, you know, gaslighting all of us. I don't think that's going to really matter when the rubber hits the road in terms of Trump actually being tried and whatever result comes out of that. As far as the question of will this matter, it matters this week, but will it matter seven months from now? eight months from now, as people are getting ready. Again, I think a lot of this campaign will boil down to the question of Joe Biden's age. I think that is going to be a line of attack. It just is. We can't avoid that. And it's going to turn into a whataboutism from the Biden campaign. They're going to say Donald Trump is more addled than Joe Biden. And besides, he's an insurrectionist who wants to take away your right to abortion. So what does it matter at the end of the day? That's so I just on the margin, I don't see this set of statements from the prosecutor that are in print. They're not even on video really being what the campaign is about in October. That said, Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. You're doing a you're doing a great spin. I really like it. I wish I could agree. Well, I will have a bet with you. I will have a bet with you right now that there will be plenty of ads attacking Joe Biden and his age and showing, you know, video and him falling off a bike or mixing things up, whatever, I predict you will not see these statements from the special prosecutor in any ads. I do not think this is the most powerful line of attack for the Donald Trump campaign. That said, let's talk about the Supreme Court piece of this. We are doing a ton of content on the 14th Amendment, hearing about this case I was a guest on Howard Monroe's show. We had Andy Kroll of ProPublica, who's done a deep dive on this, on to talk about this. So I don't want to get too far into the legal weeds. But Paul, you're our former prosecutor. You're our legal analyst. What was your top line takeaway from the oral arguments yesterday? I think that the court is um, generally and almost universally very skeptical about a unilateral action and a unilateral decision about calling somebody an insurrectionist without some judicial decision or some legal finding that somebody has participated in an insurrection. I was interested in Alito's question about, aren't you worried that, to the Solicitor General of Colorado, aren't you worried that if we allow this to happen. It opens the floodgates to anybody to make this kind of decision, and it could mean violence, et cetera. It stretches the language of the Constitution to say there has to be some kind of conviction. 
because that's not what the Constitution says. And if you read the history in which the concerns were not just about former Confederate soldiers running for office, but about Jefferson Davis uh, becoming president, they didn't say he needed to be con convicted. The Constitution does not say somebody needs to be convicted of insurrection in order for the third part of the 14th Amendment to, I don't know what they'll say. I don't expect them to uphold keeping Trump off the ballot. I thought it was fascinating. I urge people to listen to it if you've got, what, two and a half hours of free time this weekend. <laughs> but it was fascinating. It was fascinating to hear the questions that the justices were asking. And they also really focused on, is, it, is, is the system set up in such a way that one state, in this case Colorado, would have the right to basically and potentially determine the outcome of an election? And they really focused on varying parts of this. What was not focused on, except by Justice Jackson once, was didn't insurrection occur? They really didn't focus on that, other than there was one back and forth where Justice Jackson asked, the Trump attorney was saying there was no organized attempt to overthrow the government, therefore it's not an insurrection. And Justice Jackson said, so if it was a chaotic attempt to overthrow the government, would that be an insurrection? And there was actually a chuckle in the courtroom, which I don't think you hear very often in the Supreme Court. But I don't think, and nor should they, that they are going to rule in favor of Colorado on this one. I think it's a dangerous slope to walk down, but they're the justices. I'm not. I think what will be more interesting coming out of that building will be if this other federal case, appeals court case, on whether he has immunity, whether they take it and what they do there. I'm a little more intrigued by that one. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Matt. I want to take a quick moment to let you know about a podcast that should be familiar to many of you. It's called Talk in Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. The host of that show, the outstanding Corey Nathan, was just a guest with me. He's trying to do the same kind of thing that we're doing here, have reasonable, deep, smart conversations with the kinds of people you want to hear from. David Brooks and Jennifer Rubin and Adam Kinzinger Larry Wilmore of The Daily Show, John Popper of Blues Traveler. I, I got to stop talking about this. I'm, I'm getting jealous. Subscribe, follow, talk in politics and religion without killing each other and help both of us add a little bit more nuance, intelligence, and understanding to American politics. Let's get into that for a second, because like I said, there's going to be a ton in this podcast feed of analysis about this 14th Amendment issue, and we've done it on this show before as well. It was a very forceful decision from the appeals court saying that Trump does not enjoy unfettered immunity, immunity at all, really, from prosecution. Paul, I'll lean on you again. To me, as far as I know, there is not an instance of a unanimous decision on behalf of the court like this at the D.C. Circuit Federal Appeals Court ever being overturned by the Supreme Court. Not as far as I know, not sure you know, how far your memory banks go on that one. But to me, this therefore felt like I'd be hard pressed to see the Supreme Court mucking around with that one. The immunity question is, at least as far as I can tell, and as far as my aging memory takes me, is so settled. It is such a bedrock of our American democracy to say that no man is above the law or woman for that matter. No man or woman is above the law. That is the bedrock of our democracy. And I don't see, I can't imagine a basis for the Supreme Court to overturn 
uh, this decision. It's a lengthy decision. It's very well reasoned. It, it sets it out in ex with exquisite logic and detail. There's just no there's no way without. I mean, this as radical as the Supreme Court is, I just can't see them 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 overturning the decision. They may simply say we're not going to deal with it. Is there a little bit of a split the baby split decision vibe going here where they're going to basically stop the 14th Amendment challenge in its tracks, but let all the prosecutions go forward and, you know, kind of let the legal process unfold on the Trump prosecutions and then let the voters sort it out? That wouldn't be unusual for the Supreme Court, which is a highly political body at this point. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm -hmm. Speaking of highly political bodies that are largely non-functional these days, can we talk for a minute about the body of which you were previously a member, Paul? Wow. Let's just take people <laughs> inside how unusual the action was in the House this week, where you had a Speaker of the House following on Nancy Pelosi, who never lost a floor vote, never lost a floor vote. Right. It's very unusual for a House majority and a House speaker to bring a vote to the floor that they are not 100% sure that they're going to win. And then to lose two, two votes in a row, and especially on such a consequential question as they wanted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. What did you make of that? First of all, like, why is this so unusual? And, you know, what kind of stands out about it? Well, Given how much press and how much effort the Republicans put into this very high profile action, I mean, their highest priority to impeach somebody, right? We have to impeach some Democrat. That's what we're here for. So they chose Mayorkas over the border problems. And the idea that they would go into this and not have every single vote locked down and not know who were the squirrely members and who weren't is really, let's just call it unusual. On a vote of this magnitude, the whip's job is to count the votes. It happens in advance of the votes. It, the whip can report to the speaker, here's what we don't know. It looks like XYZ is a little squirrely. Maybe you better talk to him. So this is an effort that goes on. It's one of the most important things that happens behind the scenes before a vote is taken. So in this case, the Republicans were met with a few surprises. A Democrat showed up from the hospital in in in, in pajamas without Al without, Green. Al no Green, less. not Al not Green. the good one. Yeah, not not no. love and happiness. I, I know, but still, Al Green showed up in his hospital gown without shoes or socks to vote against the impeachment, and then they apparently were surprised when one of their members voted no, it was a terrible scene for the Republicans. It just illustrates the depth of their depravity and dysfunction. I like that. I like that alliteration, depravity and dysfunction, because that is what the Republican Party has now become, a party of depravity and dysfunction. I'll leave that one alone because, you know, we don't want any Republicans to get offended. Oh, Alicia, hey, good to see you. So does Mike Johnson survive? I mean, I guess it's mostly embarrassing to insiders like most regular Americans will not hear about this. But I mean, as far as internal politics go, are Republicans going WTF now? 
I'm not sure, just for clarity, I agree with the term depravity on all Republicans in Congress, but certainly well, I was gonna try they to are dysfunctional. You. <laughs> they certainly are dysfunctional, although depravity might fit Matt Gates and perhaps Marjorie Taylor Greene. And we know Lauren Boebert because that was on video. But how, how do you feel about are... the fact that Mike Johnson has his son monitor his online porn usage? True story. I don't know about that. So I can't. <laughs> OK, I I'm just wondering if depravity. I don't in. know about that. I can't wait on it because I am unfamiliar with that. Oh, I see. No, look, dysfunction's huge. But I think what happened with the Mayorkas vote is a little bit of functionality. Four Republicans came back to reality and said, you know, this isn't what the impeachment process is for. One Republican held out. So there were five Republicans who didn't vote yes. And while that is a very small minority... They did. They stood up and they did what was right, because I personally think Mayorkas is really bad at his job. And I've said that on the show before, and I've explained why. But that's not what impeachment is for. It is for high crimes and misdemeanors. I think it is a misuse of that procedure to do this in Mayorkas. And kudos to the four very brave Republicans who voted no and the one almost not a coward Republican who just didn't vote at all. And, you know, that's how government is supposed to function, where you're supposed to make a decision based on what is best not on what some guy living in Florida is telling you to do. Can I point out how strange this is? There is a guy who is not elected to any position in the United States of America, who the American public have absolutely rejected, not just him personally, but they've rejected his sycophants time and time again over the last several years. And yet he's dictating what Congress is doing. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that is insane. I also, much like you wanted to let the depravity thing slide by, I was very close to letting you slide by on the idea that, look, I found four, four, four. Republicans to stand up and do the right thing. Alicia, it reminds me of Mel Brooks. It's like, I bring you these 15, drop, break, 10, 10. Four and a half. You know who you four are? You're a modern day Diogenes. Do you know the story of Diogenes who searched, he was a philosopher who searched the streets of Athens. Of course, you know, with your Greek husband, you mind, yeah. he searched the streets of Athens with a lantern to find an honest man. You, Alicia, modern Diogenes, have searched the halls of Congress to find an honest Republican. <clears throat> and you found four. Four and two, a half. The one that just did 218 or so. Wow. That sums it up. I, You know what? Honestly, I kind of feel like we should end the show there because that sort of speaks for itself. Is there anything else we should cover? The Swift Bowl coming up this weekend. Oh, the Swift Bowl. Do you have, yeah. uh, by the time this airs, we might be right on the cusp of the Swift Bowl. What's your, what's your Swift Bowl prediction, Paul? I don't know. I've got wings and maybe some ribs and, and I don't know, you know, I mean, and good beer. I'm all for Kansas City. And for the record, I was for Kansas City before Taylor Swift was dating Travis because I always thought Mahomes was like my second favorite quarterback other than whomever plays for the Patriots. So and I like Kansas City barbecue much more than the avocado toast they serve in San Francisco. So there for those you, two reasons, that, that is, the answer I, is <laughs> if what the correct prediction is, if the Chiefs win, Travis Kelsey on the field gets on one knee and pops the question. And then every MAGA brain in America will explode. And on that happy note, for Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time.